Welcome, it's good to see you all. The scripture reading this morning is Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 20. Galatians 4, verses 8 through 20. If you'd like to follow along in the scriptures, open your Bible. I think it'll also be on the screen behind me. But I'm reading Galatians chapter 4, beginning with the 8th verse. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces again? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. This is God's word. My name is Glenn, and on a normal Sunday, uh, this is the group that I'm speaking to. Uh, this is 50 or so of the 65 to 75 of us that gather each week at Ames Community Church in Corbett, Oregon. Those of you who travel to Portland are familiar with the town of Sandy. If when you get to Sandy, you head north towards the Columbia River and follow a very windy road up and down for about 20 minutes, you'll land in the middle of the woods, and that's where this little congregation meets. Uh, I took that photo in the fall of 2019. Our worship leader was in the hospital that morning, uh, kind of unexpectedly, and I said, hey, let's take a group picture, and I'll text her. And so you can do that in a little church, so he did the little group photo thing. And um, of course, uh, that photo was taken before COVID, uh, before uh, unrest, uh, before election, before supply chains and inflation, before a land war in Eastern Europe, which is why everyone looks so happy, <laughs> you know? Uh, if we took the picture today, I think we might look a little more weary, and maybe you can relate to that today. Uh, this morning, one of the missionaries our congregation supports are back from Costa Rica, and so they're speaking this morning. In fact, service is starting right now, and uh, they're in good hands today, and I'm, it's a, just a thrill to be with you this morning. And I, I share that photo just to say thank you to uh, you as a church body. I get to pastor that group because of... Uh, years ago, I had opportunities to teach and preach here at New Hope. Uh, for nine years, New Hope was our spiritual home, but now we've been away from Bend almost as long as we, we lived here. But Nancy and I have a lot of affection for this congregation, and uh, it's just an honor to be here. So that's the end of the 
Uh, metaphorical throat clearing this morning. I might do other throat clearing, but, but that's, that's that. We are in a series uh, called uh, Galatians, and religion ruins everything. And I'm going to say we, even though I know I'm a visitor, and if you also are a visitor, welcome. You know, we can, we can say hi to each other afterwards. But uh, if you've missed a message along the way, you can see them. Go to newhopeben.com, and you can get all those messages online. You can catch up. And what follows this morning, I am calling, what do you say? What do you say? Uh, it's a sermon, and it's a story about this sermon. Uh, the sermon, of course, is what I and tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people are doing around the world this weekend. We're standing in front of a group like you and, and hundreds of millions of people like you and saying some version of, thus saith the Lord, right? Uh, the idea is that the written word of God becomes the spoken word of God. And I, I can't speak to the purposes and desires of every preacher, but my hope is that the spoken word will be like a seed that gets planted in your heart. And Paul said that faith comes by hearing the message. And just like a seed that gets planted in the soil breaks open and life springs forth, uh, James said the word planted in you can save you. Uh, God told Isaiah, my word that goes out from my mouth will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. And so may that be true of this time that we share together this morning. What do you say, though, that will bring forth that sort of faith and life? And that leads me to a story about this sermon. Someone says to you, would you like to speak to our congregation on such and such a day? And my answer is yes. It's hard to explain why I like this. It's uh, equal parts terror and joy all at the same time. I, I, I do like this. Uh, here I am. Here you are. What do you say? So step one, we need a text. Fortunately, we have one this morning. Galatians 4, 8 through 20. Didn't even have to think about it because we're in this series. And so this is just the next little section. So check. Got that done. Step two, we need to read the text which we've done. Uh, and something helpful is to read the text in multiple translations. I don't know your background, but I do not speak Greek. I can't read biblical Greek, which is the language of the New Testament. I know enough, though, about the translation process to know that it's not easy bringing words from one language into another language, let alone words from the first century culture into 21st century Central Oregon. It's not an easy process. Uh, for example... I saw a, a billboard sign in Portland some time ago. It was in Spanish, and it read, Abre todos los días. Abre todos los días. And I consulted my three years of middle school uh, Spanish. I wish I'd taken, taken more now, but uh, I decided, uh, based on that limited understanding, that Abre todos los días means open all the days. Right? And Spanish speakers, feel free to correct me later. Uh, as soon as I say, though, open all the days, you're like, eh, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound. In fact, if somebody calls your business and they say, hey, when are you open? If we say, oh, we're open all the days, people think you know, there's something wrong with you, right? That, that's, not, that's not how we talk. And that's not criticism of English, not criticism of Spanish. It's just that there's never a one-to-one -one correlation between two languages. And so uh, various people might translate that billboard as open every day, open seven days a week, or open daily, different translations. So when it comes to reading God's word, 
it makes sense to find different English translations to get the full meaning of it. So the multiple translations are super helpful. Now, we're not going to take time to read multiple translations, but let's assume that we have and, and that, I, that I did. Well, what's next? Well, I got to admit, we are confronted by a temptation now in this moment. And the temptation in this moment is to open a commentary and find out what someone else says about this passage. And then I took this seminary class with this uh, funny professor. He's from Jamaica, and he's a hippie, got long hair, earring, and he's got the accent. He likes Bob Marley, but he, boy, does he know his, like, boy, does he know his Bible. And he said, okay, at this, uh, he took us through this very painstaking process of examining the scripture and preparing it for, for preaching. So we spent an entire semester on nine verses in, uh, back in Genesis. Um, it was a long time. And he told us at this, power, uh, this point in the process, I don't want to hear what anyone else says about this scripture. I want to know what it says to you. You know, there's me time to hear about other people, but what is the text saying to you? You are God's person speaking to a group of people. What is God saying to you? through this text. Don't let other voices clutter up your brain and telling you what to think about it. How is God speaking to you through this text? Gulp, because that's a different way of thinking, isn't it? Whoa, I've got to learn what this means. So step three, what do you notice in the text? So what is the text saying about it before we ask anyone else? So here's uh, what I think the text is saying. And if you've got a Bible and want to follow along with me, let's walk through this and see if I can... Uh, tell you what I think this text is saying to us this morning. In verse 8, Paul reminds these churches in Galatia that before they followed Jesus, they were enslaved. You know, there were things in their past that weren't God, but they treated them as gods. They had first place in their lives, and those things were in control of them, and the people were actually serving them. That wasn't a good situation. And I like how verse 9 starts. Paul says, you know God, and then it's like Paul corrects himself. He says, rather are known by God. That's exactly the right way to think about it. Uh, this is an echo of 1 John 4, 19, which says, we love because he first loved us. You know, no one finds God without discovering that it was actually God was looking for them. If you know God today, it was God who found you. And the rest of verse 9 is, is really strange to think about. It's, it's this question. Now that you're no longer enslaved by the irreligion of your past, why are you enslaving yourself to religion? And that's what those weak and miserable forces are that get mentioned there in verse 3. Andy talked about those last week. And it's actually a pretty sobering thing to think about. There are people who are lost in their sin. Those are the verse 8 people, and we know people like that, right? But verse 9 says there are people who are enslaved in their goodness. And that's troubling, because I don't know about you, but I would like to be thought of as a good person, although it's truer to, probably truer to say that I'd like to be thought of as a good person rather than to actually be a good person. You know, Augustine confessed, uh, Lord, make me pure, but not yet. That was, that's in his confessions, right? But it, it sounds like there's a downside to goodness in some way. And we're going to have to get underneath that. Uh, in verse 10, Paul uh, uh, describes a, uh, practices that in verse 11 make him worry that his ministry has actually been wasted. 
Uh, the trouble is the Gentile Galatians who were not Jewish were now acting like they were Jewish. So they started observing Shabbat, which is the Jewish Sabbath on Saturday, celebrating the Jewish holidays, Pesach, which is uh, Passover, and Shavuot, which is the festival of weeks, Rosh Hashanah, which is New Year, it's September 25th this year, and Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. Verse 12, I have to admit, is, is a little confusing to me. Uh, Be like me as I became like you. I don't think anyone in this room has ever memorized that verse. Just this is my life verse, become like me, like, right? It's, it's just, it's a very difficult verse. I have a question about what it means, and so I'm going to need some help understanding that. But perhaps this is a good time to remind us all of a principle of biblical interpretation. When you come to the Bible and are trying to understand what it means, here's the rule. Don't worry so much about the parts of the Bible you don't understand worry a whole lot about the parts you actually do understand. That's the part, I and mean, even in this passage, there's plenty of stuff to, to know, even if we don't understand quite what verse 12 means. But I did find an answer to my question. Uh, for, from the end of verse 12 through, uh, through verse 16, Paul gives a history of his relationship with this Galatian church. Uh, Paul says, you did me no wrong, which is a complete understatement. Uh, it's the opposite Paul wound up in Galatia because of some sort of illness. Uh, another translation calls it a physical infirmity that he had. And whatever trouble Paul represented them physically was then matched by an equivalent level of hospitality. You know, Paul says he was welcomed as an angel or as Jesus himself would have been welcomed, which is remarkable to think about that. Which then makes verses 15 and 16 totally abrupt. You know, what their relationship was, treating me like Jesus, is no longer what it is now. Uh, verse 15, it gets rendered in uh, the New Revised Standard as, what has become of the goodwill you felt? In other words, how come you don't treat me like you used to? And in verse 16, Paul sounds exasperated. All I've ever done is tell you the truth. How does that make me your enemy now? Paul's feeling distance from this group that he was once really close to. Now, there's one potential rabbit trail in this, in this text. I don't think it's the point of the text, so we won't uh, put it in the sermon probably, but a lot of us wonder what that illness or physical infirmity was in verse 13. Paul doesn't say. So, of course, we speculate, and that's all anyone does is speculate. Um, but there are a couple of ideas that seem reasonable to me. Uh, the first speculation is that this illness is the same thing that Paul refers to in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, as a thorn in his flesh, uh, that messenger of Satan that tormented him. Paul had prayed three times for the Lord to take this away, please, Lord. And instead, Jesus told him, this is 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, I'm not going to take your burden away. I'm just going to give you strong shoulders to bear up under it. Second speculation is that this uh, illness or, or whatever physical infirmity had something to do with his eyes. Uh, not everyone agrees, but this is my view because in verse 15, Paul reflects on his relationship with the Galatians. He says they would have torn out their eyes and given them to him. And then there's this line at the end of this letter. It appears Paul may have dictated the original manuscript and decided to write something in his own hand at the end. So Galatians 6.11 says, See what large letters I use as I write to you 
with my own hand. And the thought is that Paul had to write with big letters because he couldn't see very well. And when you, when you read about the beatings that uh, Paul took as an ambassador for Jesus, you could easily imagine how a head injury from, say, one of those stonings that he, that he experienced would mess with his vision. This idea of God using a physical illness, Paul's illness, whatever it was for his glory, isn't the main focus of this passage, but it, it's sure interesting to think about. You know, we think of the blessing of God as health, wealth, comfortable circumstances. And here is Paul in the center of God's will dealing with a major physical ailment. Remarkable thing to think about and to think about. And it's, it comes up as we read this text. Verse 17 refers to a, a group of people who are after the loyalties of the Galatians. Zealous to win you over could be translated as seek you out. You know, Paul says there are people good at seeking them out but they have bad motives in doing so. They're up to no good. And then uh, verse 18 reminds us that zealous feelings should be matched always by good purposes. Don't be excited about doing bad things, right? And that's the goal, whether or not Paul is around. And then finally, in verses 19 and 20, we hear Paul's level of concern for these churches in Galatia. He's in the pains of childbirth waiting for the life of Jesus to emerge in them. And I sort of wonder what uh, women who have given birth to children imagine or think about Paul saying, uh, using this metaphor, like, Paul, you have no idea, right? But, but Paul has this deep level of concern, and that's the metaphor he uses for these people. And he really wishes he could be there to straighten things out so his tone could be a little warmer to them. So that's our passage. We still need to write a sermon, but there's actually a couple more tasks we need to go through before we do. One is to look at our passage in context. Uh, we have an idea about what the text is saying, but part of understanding a text is to understand its context, the words that come around it. So how does this text fit into the larger picture of the book of Galatians and the story God is telling? So let's zoom out for a moment. Are we together? Okay, so I haven't lost totally yet. Okay, a few, I see. Thank you for the head nod. That's great. Uh, when Paul wrote this letter, there was nothing that we could call Christianity like we know it today in the 21st century. Uh, what you had was a movement called the way, the way. Acts 9, Paul's traveling north from Jerusalem with letters uh, from the high priest giving him permission to persecute people who are of the way. And Acts 9, 2 says this, if he, that's Paul, found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Acts 9, of course, is the chapter where Paul meets Jesus, or rather, Jesus meets him on the road to Damascus, and Paul does a 180 with the direction of his life. You know, Paul turns from becoming the chief persecutor of the way to becoming arguably its, its most effective promoter, maybe of all time. Uh, ten chapters later in Acts 19.8, we're told that Paul entered a synagogue in uh, the city of Ephesus and spoke boldly there for three months arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. They refused to believe. And so I, I'd like to take this little detour about the way because we need to ask a question that relates to our passage this morning. How does a person become part of the way? And the answer is simply, you believe. 
you believe. Uh, the thing that separates Christianity from every other religious system in the world is this thing called belief. Trust, faith are synonyms for it. Uh, religion says, here's what you need to do, so get to work and, and good things are gonna happen. Here's what not to do and you better shape up or else. That's how a religious system works. But the Jesus way is not something you do, but it's a message you believe and place the weight of your life on it. And so Peter, on the day the church was born, he, he preached a message. He said, Jesus lived. He was crucified, died, and buried. But now he has come back to life, bringing life eternal and the forgiveness of sins. And the scripture says, people believed that message. Thousands of them placed the weight of their lives on that truth, and the way began. Paul would later explain it this way. This is Romans 10, 9. This is what Paul says. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's how you join the way. And by the way, that's still how you join the way. Uh, I brought this, uh, or, or they let me borrow the stool this morning uh, because I, I'd like to use a very old illustration, but it's a really important illustration because this entire letter of Galatians is about belief. And I want to point out this morning that there's a huge difference between having belief in something and actually believing something. Belief in versus believing. So I, I've got this stool here. It's, it looks very nice. It's metal. It looks well-constructed. I can imagine that it would hold my weight if I sat on it. I believe in the stool, right? When do I actually trust the stool, though? I trust the stool the moment I sit on the stool and place my weight on it. Now this stool has my trust and faith. I no longer believe in it, but I believe it. And that's what we're talking about here in terms of uh, the people of God, believing, not just believing in God, but believing him, uh, taking God at his word, placing the weight of your life on these promises that he's given to us. That's how you get saved. And the question, of course, is, well, what happens after you believe? You know, what do I do? And when the way started... They had this little problem. We talked about this some weeks ago. I say we, but it was Pastor Brandon a few weeks ago. Uh, the founder was Jewish. The first uh, disciples were Jewish. Uh, the first converts were Jewish. And now one of the things going on in the book of Acts is uh, the church, early church, trying to figure out how Jewish should we be? And uh, the conclusion was not Jewish at all. Uh, here's what, uh, there was a church council in Acts 15 and 16. And here's what Peter said in Acts 16, verses 10 and 11. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. In other words, when someone joins the way, don't hand them the Torah, you know, Genesis through, through Deuteronomy with its 613 do's and don'ts and say, good luck, get going, start doing all of this. No, it's salvation by grace through faith. That's the historic Christian message. But here in Galatia, 
the wrong thing had started to happen. People were saying that being part of the way meant taking on the Jewish religious system and living by it. And so Paul writes what feels to me like a pretty emotional letter to them, countering all of that. It's not always easy to hear tone in the written word, but boy, we heard it this morning. Uh, Have I wasted my time on you? Uh, You know, I'm in agony for you, like a woman bearing down in the midst of labor. And so that's our context now. Last step is we need to build a bridge. We need to build a bridge from then to now. That was then, what did it mean then, and what does it mean now? And, and this is actually a good spot now to look at the commentaries and see what, were they, what did it mean back then? How have people interpreted this passage over the years? What does it mean to us this morning? And uh, I did look at some commentaries, but my conclusion was already that Paul has three concerns in this passage. He's concerned about certain practices, things that the Galatian people are doing. He's concerned about certain people, uh, specifically people who are leading the Galatians astray. And then he's concerned about uh, a certain process that needs to happen in the lives of these Galatian believers. And so now it's time for the sermon. And if I've lost you along the way, I apologize. Come back now because here comes the sermon here. What would the Lord say to us based on this passage this morning, July 31st, 2022, here in Bend, Oregon? I think there are three things he would say to us this morning based on this word. So number one, always remember your need for grace. Always remember your need for grace. Remember your need for grace because the tendency is to forget your need for grace. And you this morning have forgotten your need for grace if you think salvation has something to do with you this morning. Paul tells us early on in this passage that both irreligion and religion are, are bad things. You know, these, there are things that can enslave you both outside and inside the church. And so when I say avoid irreligion, good church people won't have any trouble with that. All we say, yes, amen. Those people out there who are irreligious, they definitely need grace, don't they? Yeah. They couldn't be bothered to be in church on a Sunday morning, you know, even though there's air conditioning, uh, maybe they're sleeping off a hangover today, or maybe they're out on, uh, they're doing fitness as a religion. So they're out on the paddleboard on the Deschutes, trying to beat the church crowd before we get there and, and try to cool off. And I'll just say, by the way, if that's you this morning, if you are an irreligious person, if for whatever reason you're feeling the pull of God in your life today, I'll just say the awareness of your need for God is evidence that God is reaching out to you this morning. Uh, Reject the irreligion of your life. Turn from those ways to God. That's how you start on the way. But... It's the second part of this that is really troublesome for church people. Uh, We know that those people out there have problems that need grace, but the theme of this series is, do everybody remember what it is? Religion ruins everything, and there's something that can happen to believers that can ruin their relationship with Christ. We can forget our ongoing need for the good news. And the thing that saved us is the thing that keeps us saved. So while people outside the church definitely need to give up their unrighteousness, we need to give up our self-righteousness this morning. Being religious, it puts you in the same place as being irreligious. Imagine that. 
And this is what Paul speaks to, I think, in verse 12. I say I think because commentators tell me it's, it is difficult to translate. Uh, he's telling a group of, uh, he's saying, become like me because I became like you. He's telling a group of former pagans who are now trying to live religious lives to be like Paul who has given up his religious life. So give up your religious efforts as I have given up my religious efforts. Depend on grace alone. You know, a person saved by grace knows in the depths of their heart that they are loved by God. You know, and it has nothing to do with them and everything to do with God. As uh, someone really smart and uh, beautiful has put it, he said it this way, there's nothing you can do to get God to love you more. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less this morning. That's the gospel. That's the love of God. So don't let your Christian faith become a religious enterprise. You know, don't take a message that you believed and it turn it into a performance art that you try to achieve. Always remember your need for grace. That was the first lesson. Number two, always resist the graceless. Always resist the graceless. And by graceless, I don't mean the clumsy. That would be me. Uh, we're talking about something else here. One of the sobering parts of this passage is that the reality is there are people who will try to lead you away from grace. Now, in this letter, Paul really, I mean, really goes after the Judaizers, uh, people trying to make those pagan Gentile people into religious Jewish believers. There are these people who are trying to get the loyalty of the Galatian uh, Christians and push Paul off to the side. But can we agree this morning that uh, Judaizers are not really an issue for us here in Central Oregon this morning? Uh, if you really want to adopt the ways of religious Jews, and not all Jewish people live this way, it's, it's, a, very, it's a small or it's a, a sect of, of the Jewish people that really are living these religious Jewish lives. But for starters, it means you're going to have two sets of silverware and plates. One is for meat, one is for dairy, and you're never gonna have a meal with meat and dairy. It's one or the other. That's what it means to live kosher. And then there's a list of 39 things that you can and cannot do, uh, activities that are prohibited on the Sabbath. It's very, very complicated. Today, we are not worried about that. And if you are, please see me later because don't, don't, don't go that direction. No. Today, we are worried about two other groups of people. Both are graceless and need to be resisted. And so here's the first one. Um, I'll just say it. The first group I'm going to call spiritual abusers. Spiritual abusers. And I'm sorry to say that they exist. Their goal is to get you dependent on them. And these sorts of leaders, they tend to have a special revelation from God. The Lord told me, or the Lord told me to tell you. It's not that God doesn't speak to people today but the abusive leader wants you to think that you can't hear the voice of God without them. You know, they got an inside scoop on the workings of God. Uh, their ministry is better than other ministries. Your life will go bad if you depart their ministry. And if you dare uh, criticize them, they will accuse you of hindering the work of God in the world. They'll never say it's about them. It's about them totally. Resist these sorts of graceless leaders who want to control you and make you dependent on them. Second group, I'm going to call the legalists. I, I grew up with these folks, so I, this one I know really well. Instead of you getting dependent on them, 
they want to get you dependent on yourself. Um, you can recognize these people because they're always telling you to do better, try harder, get going. You know, now that you're saved, here's what you need to do. And so your church attendance, uh, your ministry involvement, your Bible reading, all of these things can become a self-salvation project if you're not careful. Because the problem with legalism is the danger to our salvation. You know, with the irreligious person, it's sort of obvious that they're lost. Uh, They probably know they are far from God, but the religious person, well, they have no idea. That's why Paul said he was afraid for the Galatians in verse 11. The the main danger of illegalism is that we set up standards for ourselves and then we look down on all the people who fail to meet those standards around us. In contrast to the spiritual abuser and the legalist, there's a person called the graceful leader. And this is what we should all strive to be, the graceful leader, because they've got one goal It's to get you to love and follow Jesus with all your heart and soul and mind and strength because that is the whole ballgame for Christian ministry. There's an old song we used to sing. It says, uh, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. That's where grace is found. That's what you should be depending on this morning. One last message from this text. Are we okay so far? We got one last one. Third message. Always rely on faith for transformation. Always rely on faith for personal transformation. Along the way, I've said being bad is bad and being good is bad. And maybe you're wondering, well, wait a minute, what else is there, right? And the answer is found in verse 19, where Paul says he wants to see Christ formed in their hearts. Well, how does that happen? And Paul tells us over in Ephesians, he wrote to the Ephesian church and he said this, Ephesians 3, 16 through 17, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with, the power, with power through his, inner, through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Dwell in your hearts through faith. There's a work that God wants to do in your life uh, today that has nothing to do with you trying harder. It has everything to do with you trusting God more. Uh, Trusting God brings the life of Jesus into your heart. And so as we conclude the message this morning, I, I ask simply, is there an area of your life where you need to trust God more? Many of us have trusted God for our salvation. Paul would tell us this morning that we need to continue trusting God for our continued salvation. And the beauty is what happens to us when we trust God, because that's when Jesus comes alive in our hearts. Uh, The fruit of the Spirit appear in your life, and we'll be talking about that in future weeks. But when you understand your salvation no longer depends on you, suddenly it changes all your motivations. You're free. You're free to love and serve God because he already loves you. Nothing you have to do. You know, instead of trying to be good, so hopefully I can make it in, you realize since God accepts me, I can just do whatever good I find in front of me to do. So, you know, nobody told me to say this, but I'll just say it's sign up to work in the children's ministries area. You know, it's, uh, I say that because former children's director I'm married to, and they always need help in the children's ministries. But listen, do it because God loves you this morning and sent Jesus to die for you.
Do it out of gratitude. Do it out of love for what God has done for you. And don't do it thinking that it earns your way anywhere with God. And certainly don't think that if you do this thing, oh, then God's going to owe me that. That's a religion, and you don't want to have any part of that. So what are you trusting God for this morning with your life? Our service is going to end this morning at the Lord's table. And this is a great way to remind ourselves that salvation is a gift we receive and not some sort of state that we achieve. Uh, in the more liturgical churches, they will say, the gifts of God for the people of God. That's what it is. It's a gift we receive. Um, there's a promise of God that says this. It's 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Can you believe that this morning? Can you put the weight of your life on that? If so, the good news is you're saved. You know, maybe this morning you're in need of a new start with God. The table of the Lord is a great place to do it. Reset your spiritual life by acknowledging afresh your dependence on Jesus for life eternal and the forgiveness of sins. And the main requirement for someone receiving the symbols of the body and blood of Jesus and physically taking them into your life is simply the awareness that you need Jesus in your life. So may this time of communion that we go to together remind us of our need for grace. May it uh, remind us of the importance of resisting the graceless around us and may the tr remind us of the transformation that's going to happen, going to happen as we trust Jesus and take him into our lives. Would, would you pray with me? Our Father, we are grateful today for your word. We thank you for your servant, Paul, who even in illness uh, found a way to bring the gospel and bring life eternal to people. Thank you for your servant, Paul. Thank you for um, the fact that his word uh, and his writings to the Galatian church speak to us today. And may, um, may we not be irreligious people, May we not be religious people today, but may we be trusting people in you. Uh, may we find new reasons to trust you, even in the midst of uh, these difficult years that we've been through and are uh, maybe even heading into more difficulties. Lord, may we trust you with our futures and may we trust you with our eternal future. You promised new heavens and new earth. And Lord, we... Uh, Look forward with eager longing for what you intend to do with us and this world that you love so much. Thank you for this time. And we pray this all in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen.